Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. Luke Carlson joins us. Luke is the founder and CEO of Discover Strength Personal Training Studios, which are based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard about people talk about Luke, mention his name, maybe mention uh, Discover Strength. So Luke, thanks for joining us today. I I know it's been a couple months trying to get this together, but uh, I appreciate you hopping on today. Eric, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So like I said, right before I press record, um, we had planned this a couple months before COVID, the pandemic happened. So the topic's kind of shifted and changed. And I think we've talked, everybody's kind of been talking about how their businesses changed, how their lives have changed. I'm not trying to underplay that because it's made a huge impact for everybody's life. And I do want to touch on that a little bit, but my main reason uh, why I reached out to you, because you have this way of sharing information that makes everything very digestible, very easy to listen to. It's all science-based. And so that's, that's my main goal of the podcast. But for people who maybe aren't very familiar with you, your work, or maybe discover strength, could you give us a little background and detail how you got into exercise and fitness and then training and how Discover Strength became about. Eric, I would love to. So, um, you know, like most of your listeners and so many people in our field, you know, I was really passionate about strength training, uh, even in middle school and high school. I mean, I was really into it. And my senior year of high school, we had a program called the Mentor Program where you could work with the last two periods of your day, you could work with people in a field you could work with a professional field that you wanted to go into maybe when you were uh, out of school. And so I thought, well, I want to be a strength coach. And I wrote a letter, a letter, not an email, a letter to the head strength coach for the Minnesota Vikings. So I live in Minnesota and uh, his name was Steve Wetzel. And to my absolute shock, he took me on. And so I would go to their practice facility a couple times out of the week and he would do one-on-one classroom sessions with me train me, take me through workouts, take me through not just the strength training workouts, but all the conditioning workouts. And it was just fantastic. So I'm 17 years old, getting introduced to high intensity training. And in my, my past, you know, before that, I thought all you did was power clean and deadlift and bench press and do a hundred sets of every exercise. And so he totally changed how I looked at exercise. So by my sophomore year of college, I was working, you know, part-time, maybe 20, 25 hours a week with, uh, with the Minnesota Vikings as an employee, as a strength and conditioning coach or one of their many assistants. And Steve was just a wonderful mentor, just a wonderful teacher. And so that's how I got into it. Uh, by the time I graduated from college, I was working for the Vikings for those uh, three years. I was a strength coach at the largest high school in Minnesota that had an incredible weight room. I was personal training with a guy that had opened up a personal training studio that used to work for the Vikings and he had incredible equipment. And so 
I felt like I was working a 14 hour day, but doing stuff that I just loved. So I was 22 and I graduated and had trained a million people from college football players, high school athletes of all kind, a ton of NFL football players, the general public, you know, I'd done it all. And it made my learning so rich, right? Like when you're going through a biomechanics class as an undergraduate, and then you're applying it the rest of the day in your work, it was just the perfect learning environment. Mm-hmm. And so when I graduated, I went right into a graduate program and, and studied exercise physiology in graduate school and um, continued to work for the Vikings and continued to be a high school strength and conditioning coach and, and uh, just had great experiences. And eventually a, a great mentor of mine, um, Jim Flanagan, pulled me aside and we started to develop a relationship and he knew that what I wanted to do was either become a head NFL strength coach. That was the path that I was on, or I wanted to get a PhD and become a a research um, scientist at a big research institution, you know, a big university. And that's what I wanted to do. And he pulled me aside and said, you should think about starting a business. So I'm 23. When we have that conversation, I think about it for two weeks and I think, okay, this is probably what I should be doing. This sounds phenomenal. It was never on my radar. So fast forward to 2006, we spent about two years kind of thinking about things and visiting different clubs and gyms and different business models around the country and kind of preparing really. And uh, so we launched our first Discover Strength location in May 2006. So it's May 22nd. And I remember that because every year on May 22nd, I go back to the same uh, crappy Mexican restaurant that I went to the night we opened. Uh, I went there with my my girlfriend and uh, some of her family and and had a meal. And and I said, I'm going to come back here every year. And so I'm hoping restaurants are open and I'm able to do that on May 22nd. So that's how we got started. Um, Our first studio opened in 2006. We opened two more studios in 2012. We opened our fourth studio in uh, 2018 so that one's exactly at a two-year anniversary right now and then we opened up another studio in 2019 so we're sitting here with five studios we have plans on building out a studio uh july august uh that may get pushed back to early fall but that's where we are right now that is awesome and that's a really good story too and i want to touch base on a couple things there but if jim flanagan pulls you aside to tell you anything you're probably going to be like, oh, yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you just can't say no to Jim. He's got a compelling way of, of communicating. And, um, you know, he's today truly one of my best friends. I mean, we talk on the phone literally every other day, but I'm still, you know, like incredibly fearful of him. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, and I forever will be. I mean, he is truly a great friend, but uh I have so much respect for him and he's just a commanding presence yeah. even over the phone. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And, and seeing the guy in person, you can, I mean, he's just a, he's a figure. As soon as he walks into a room, you're like, Oh, that guy I should probably pay attention to. Yep. That's so true. <laughs> Perfectly so, so I want to cycle back to something you said. I find it very interesting because I, I find this to be true in almost everybody's career, unless they somehow find personal training right away. When you're, when you're in, especially an exercise science program, um, whether it's a good one or bad one, there's a lot of different ones across the area. And a lot of them, you don't necessarily have the opportunity to get hands-on experience. So you have to search for it outside of the curriculum. Why do you think most exercise science students 
want to go like work for the pros right away. Like they don't think about general population at all. It's like, let's go work for the athletes. So that's a brilliant question. There's a massive misnomer that the highest level, the highest, most evolved form of exercise and training that's taking place is taking place with elite level athletes. And my experience couldn't be uh, any further from the truth. Now, it's not that we weren't serious in our approach. It's that the population is not serious about exercise. So it's a myth that an NFL football player likes to strength train. They don't right. like to strength train. I mean, most right. of them don't like to strength train at all. They just happen to be genetically, uh, genetically gifted. They are genetic freaks of nature that are really good at football. And I'm not saying they're not hardworking. They work hard in practice and they play the game with an incredible passion and intensity. That doesn't mean they like to work out. I mean, I remember being a strength coach at a large high school and with the Vikings at the time. And the high school kids would say, man, I can't even imagine how hard those guys lift weights. And I'm like, well, just picture the guy on our team that works the least hard. And that's like, that's what they all look like, you know? And that's an overstatement. I mean, some guys worked a little bit harder. But the population, I think, is attractive because we assume that the highest level of sport or competition must have the most advanced um, practices and implementation of different exercise principles. And that's just not the case. Not only are they not interested, um, but it's archaic in, in, in uh, um, most instances that I've uh, been involved with. Now, the other thing I would say is, as I've evolved and gotten older, I would say, who cares? Like, who cares if an NFL football player gets a little bit stronger and extends their career a little bit? Well, clearly the player cares and the strength and conditioning coach cares, but the most important exercise that's happening anywhere in the world is with the general population, right? The, the impact you have on someone's life is far more important than what we're doing in professional athletics. So to think that that's the epitome of our field is a disservice to our field. It's just not. I think so too. And I, I try to, uh, when people talk to me about, you know, becoming a personal trainer, I did, I, I did a, a, a guest speaker spot for Northern Kentucky university and there's kids in there. And most of them that raised their hands said they want to work with athletes. And, you know, we had a limited amount of time to talk to them about this whole situation, but I didn't say it exactly like you just said it, which was a way better, um, verbiage than, than I, than I formatted. But I basically told them, you know, that it, you know, a lot of the flash that's there, first of all, it's unnecessary because a lot of the stuff that those people are going to do are, they're going to get results from almost anything that they do. And, you know, it, I don't understand why a lot of the stuff that is in athletics is, is in athletics in terms of exercise and preparing them, people for readiness because strength is the baseline, but not everything that is shown in um, a professional or college level weight room, that's not always the best or the safest. You see a lot of guys sitting out that have never had playing time, and most of it is probably related to their strength and conditioning program. Um, anyway, I, I started talking to these kids about like, look at the, the biggest population that we have around us. And we broke down some stats on obesity and heart disease and all these different things. And I said, you know, you've got athletes that are there for a finite amount of time, and you're a very small piece of their overall puzzle you know, when it comes down to it. Um, but I, I wish I would have thought about the whole aspect of them not even really wanting to be in the weight room because I, I totally, I could totally see that. Yeah. I mean, like, think about like one of the things that brings satisfaction uh, and joy in our professional lives 
is appreciation, right? We want to be appreciated by our manager. We want to be appreciated by our coworkers, but we want to be appreciated by the people that we're actually working or serving. And this is true in any industry, in any line of work. Well, I'm telling you, like, like just think about this. I went from working with professional athletes where they got paid to work out. Literally, they all had, they all got paid for every workout they showed up at. So let's say it's the off season, they may get paid $250 for every workout they show up for, but they may also have a bonus in their contract where if they achieve 90% attendance and off season workouts, they get another $300,000. So they feel like they have to do it. They're prodded to do it and they're paid to do it. Okay. Whereas I think about the clients I work with today in 2020, they are paying good money to do it. So they right. have so much appreciation <laughs> for it. They're looking forward to it. And we talk about from a customer service standpoint, hey, one of the three things we want to do, one of our real pillars from a customer service standpoint is we want to be the best part of the client's day. And a workout is perfectly positioned to do that. Like I had my workout yesterday. It was the highlight of my day. It was just an awesome workout. And so we get to do something that people look forward to. They might not look forward to like the last couple of reps of a set clearly, but the best part of the day, is there anything better for you? Is there anything more thrilling than your workout? I mean, that's everything. And that's what we get to sell. And that's what people buy and they have appreciation for it. And it's just the opposite, uh, uh, opposite scenario in professional mm -hmm. athletics and that they are getting paid to do it. And they maybe don't necessarily want to do it. And I also right. say that I think, Sometimes strength training, so let's say strength training, not exercise in general, but strength training is almost lost on the populations um, that are interested in it or that are engaged in it. The benefits of strength training are lost on the populations that are engaged in it uh, and that the populations that really have the most to gain from it aren't engaged in it. And we just don't talk about it. Like, like you said, everyone's aspiring to work with athletes. Well, they have a little bit to gain from it. But man, the general population has so much to gain from it. And then you go general population over 50, over 60. Oh my goodness, over 70 years old. That's when strength yeah. becomes really valuable. And of course, that's when participation rates in the US and Europe drop. You know, like 20-year-old dudes like to strength train. Well, right. you know, you really strength training becomes really imperative when we're what, over 40 years of age. And that's when we stop strength training, which I just think is fascinating. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. It's weird, like the connection there, because when you mention strength training, especially let's say to uh, a mom of two who is in her late 30s, early 40s, um, or maybe even a little bit older, and you mention the word strength training to them, a lot of the times what they'll think of is, well, I don't need bulky muscles. I don't need to exercise like an athlete. And you're like, well, I understand where you're coming from and what you might have seen, but let's kind of break this down to what strength training is and how it applies to you specifically. Because really, I mean, in my opinion, I, I've had very limited um, hands-on experience with athletes. I've trained a couple in college uh, athletes, a, a very few high school athletes, but, but the intensity of like the workout can look, you can structure a workout exactly the same, but the intensity is what is going to change the biggest uh, for between the two, between general population and a professional athlete if you know if someone does if someone goes about the workout in a very smart intelligent way um but you you at least i've heard those comments well, i don't need to lift that heavy of a weight because i don't want to look like a football player or i don't need to get big muscles and it's you know we don't in the time in the time of a workout we don't have that much time to explain maybe 
genetic potential and effort level and all those other kind of things. But um, I, we still hear those quite a bit. Yeah, I totally agree. Who, who do you think strength training is for and how you should strength train? is so we're so influenced by visually what we've seen so yeah. if your first um, exposure to like high intensity what I, what I would call high intensity resistance training high intensity training is you walk into a, a for me it was walking into the minnesota vikings weight room and i saw a million machines as far as the eye could see and i saw the most muscular men i've ever seen in my life strength training me as a as a 17 year old guy i was like okay this is exactly what you should be doing all right right but right. my first introduction to that was a million machines and i, I picture like wayne westcott's laboratory in boston uh -huh. walk in and there's a bunch of 68 year olds strength training i'd be like yeah this is not how i'm supposed to strength train even though it's the exact same thing it's the same it the same exercises the order of exercises is the same everything's the same it's just the human is different and so the visual is different and you know if you want to convince a football player to strength train like that introduce it to them with uh, the visual of really muscular guys doing it and yeah and vice versa because i've had times where you know uh, uh, of course a a 82 year old individual would see that football player on that machine and be like well that's not for me there's got to be something different for me it's, it's all the optics it's the visual that that uh, confuses us or misleads yeah. us that's 100 percent true so, so in, in your frame of reference then with all of your knowledge, everything that you've um, talked about and discussed and lectured on and what you do day to day, can you share for the general population maybe that's listening, because uh, we've kind of defined, you know, who is strength training for in a rough, rough way. Anyway. It's basically, it's for everyone. Uh, the population in need of strength training, we've kind of touched on that already, which is very important, especially like in that baby boomer population. I always tend to reference them and I feel like I can because my parents are there so so sure. I can kind of like I could nitpick at it a little bit but because they kind of come from that cardio version you know they, they were in their 20s ish in the 90s and and cardio was just all the craze and I think that was kind of that that's been ingrained in them like anything else that's going to be in the media that's going to be ingrained in a person they were just kind of hammered with this cardio aspect of things maybe more so women than men because my dad still strength trains uh, my mom does a little bit more you know cardio kind of based she'll, she'll do more walking than anything else but can you define maybe what is a smarter way for people to train and exercise and not necessarily in the time that we're in now which is you know kind of a stay at home exercise with what you can but let's say in an ideal situation um, how would someone go in creating their own program and maybe working with a professional? Yeah, so good questions. And Eric, I, I just wanna first add to what you said. Not only does maybe the boomer generation or an older generation think that aerobic exercise is more important, and there are some probably some trends that uh, maybe females are a little bit more, you have a leaning toward aerobic exercise and some males would still lean toward resistance type exercise. But I think the fundamental problem or difference is neither one of males or females have a clue why they should be strength training. Like the guy that's strength training that's 50 years old thinks he's just adding muscle. When in reality, the research would say, well, strength training is the most effective way to ward off uh, mild cognitive decline. The idea that we, we are not as smart as we age. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's far more important than adding a quarter of an inch to your bicep. 
How about the fact that Harvard Research shows strength training is the most effective way to slow down the gradual creep of abdominal fat storage in men, which is one of the five diagnostic criterion for metabolic syndrome. Well, right. So there's all these benefits of strength training that no one associates with strength training. I always love to say that we're, we are in a society that's generally pro-exercise. We just don't have a clue what benefits we should expect from our exercise. Like we expect exercise to do things it can't do. And then we don't realize we're getting all of these other benefits from exercise that we just hadn't understood before. I mean, we look at cardiovascular disease. Strength training is probably the most important type of exercise we can do to ward off cardiovascular disease. And no one yep. knows that. You know, everyone's yep. strength training for bigger muscles. You know, we have you know thousands of clients strength train with us. No one's ever come in the door for their first workout saying, hey, I'd like to strength train here to prevent cardiovascular disease and stroke, which is probably the main reason they should be strength training. So um, I, I just... I, I think you're right um, about some of the trends with uh, how we look at strength training and aerobic exercise. Um, in 2020 still, we're just slow to adapt. So what's an ideal scenario? Uh, in simplistic terms, terms, I think it's one to two strength training workouts per week, um, maybe eight to 12 exercises. I think the mode of resistance is not as important. So it could be free weights, it could be machines. For me, I think the level of intensity that's required, if you're able to use a machine, I think that uh, promotes a higher level of intensity with really good form. Um, but I don't think it has to be just machines. It's not the tool, it's how the tool is used and your muscle just responds to these force production requirements. And so I have a bias toward machines. I really enjoy machines, but I just don't think that there's any, or I know there's no evidence to suggest that machines produce better results. I think intense training, getting the, the, the preponderance of the musculature to the point of or near muscle failure is the key. And I think sometimes machines allow us to hit specific muscle groups or target muscle groups more efficiently. Um, but I think one to two workouts a week, eight to 12 exercises, high level of intensity, absolutely minimizing momentum, um, is, is the foundation. And I think it's the foundation for all exercise. Um, and I'm a guy that actually loves cardiovascular exercise. Like I do too much of it. I'm uh, really, really into marathon running. I love long distance running, but it is not nearly as important. I mean, it's not the foundation. That's a sport, right? That's right, for fun. Right. That's recreation where, the strength training truly is the foundation. Those are all, I mean, the whole, the whole thing you just knocked out of the park. And I think uh, when I, when I hear people ask me, they'll, they'll ask me, um, well, what should I do if I only have a certain amount of time? If I only have 20 minutes or should I strength train or should I, should I do a cardio workout? And, and even if they say less than that, like if I have 10 minutes, what, what do I do? It's just easy enough. I might as well go for a run, right? I'm like, I'll tell you what, if you're, if you're good without taking breaks and you have access to, you know, cause a lot of people that, that I'll train will be uh, sitting in an office or, or something like that. And if they, if they aren't coming to see me right away, if they have like, you know, if they have a little bit of break between meetings or something, um, I'll always say, pick the largest muscle groups, pick three exercises, leg press, a lap pull down, and maybe some kind of, maybe a vertical press or a chest press. and and, you know, I'll, I'll usually try to try to get them to do one to two sets on their own. And, and they'll kind of, I was like, well, that doesn't really get my heart right up. I'm like, well, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> like we need, we need to, we need to 
we need to cycle back and kind of look at the the process overall and what's being controlled. Because I think when people think about squeezing exercise in in a short amount of time, let's just say 20 to 30 minutes, a typical workout, what I would do is they want to get more exercises in instead of increasing the overall intensity, which actually reduces the the amount of exercises required. And um, if you really think, if a person really thinks about what it takes to get your heart rate up during a cardio workout, it's the move, it's the moving of the muscular structure. So that makes your heart beat. So what is happening when we're doing a strength training workout? You know, we're loading the muscles, we're loading the joints, we're loading the, this whole structure, which is going to make your heart beat faster. It's going to make you breathe heavier. So um, I think for best bang for the buck, if, if someone could do in a short amount of time, uh, then definitely strength training is, is the way to go. Yeah, I could not agree more. I mean, everything you said, I totally agree with. And, uh, and what, and, you know, and like you said, like the, this is a little off, I didn't really plan on, t- on, on tackling it, but it's, you know, when you're talking about sports performance, the benefits that a runner would get from simple, it doesn't even have to be multiple sets of strength training. If they're a serious runner, like you said, you know, if someone's running marathons, half marathons, um, if you're just an avid jogger, then you're still going to benefit from it. You could probably handle a little bit more intensity, a little more volume maybe, but you know, one to two sets for competitive exercise, even the intensity level, it goes such a long way. It makes the, you know, your foot strike harder. It makes all of your joints safer. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. I, I beat these topics to death. So when I start talking about them, I'm always like, I think you've brought this up before, but, but it's just, uh, it's just invaluable. The list goes on. Yeah. And sometimes you and I think that like, okay, everyone's got to know that by now. Because we've talked about it so much and it's our world, but you still, you know, I was at the Olympic trials in uh, Atlanta uh, at the very end of February, uh, Olympic trials for the marathon. And uh, it's just amazing how, how miss, how much misinformation there is about strength training. And, and I will say it's a little bit encouraging. I think now we're finally, finally starting to see the shift where runners are appreciating the importance of, of strength training from an injury prevention standpoint, from an improving running economy standpoint, um, we're probably finally starting to get there. But again, the problem is so many of the coaches are what runners from, you know, the fifties, sixties and seventies, specifically sixties and seventies, and they didn't strength train then. So they're not, you know, keen on having their athletes strength train now. So we're a little bit in the dark ages still. Yeah. Yeah, do you think that do you think that running in in particular is is more apt to to that than now, you know, cuz obviously there's you got you have baseball uh which is a little bit I guess during during off season more focused and because the the season is so grueling they I don't know how much intensity they bring to the weight room. Maybe maybe quite a bit, I'm not really sure. Football we know yeah, it's that's there. Good. That's a good yeah. question. Um I I think uh Runners uh, at the highest level, you still have more variability, right? Because it depends on what part of the world you're from and what the coach yeah, and the training program you train with. Where when there's a professional league, like Major League Baseball, they're just like practices become shared across a league, right? Like every team has a strength and conditioning coach. So and then yeah. collective bargaining agreements or union contracts for players have this certain amount of a lot of time for strength training. So you just move toward a little bit of uniformity in the approach when there is a league 
where when I think about a sport like uh, elite long distance running, it's everyone has different coaches. They're spread all over the world. You may train with a group of 15 elite Kenyans in Kenya. You may be with one of the elite groups in Japan. There's four or five pockets of elites throughout the U.S., but they have very different approaches to training. And so it kind of depends what camp you train with, where when there's an organized professional sports league, I think you move toward uh, a little bit more uniformity. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I, uh, to switch topics a little bit, um, I was flipping through my Instagram feed today and I came across one of your posts and I thought it was awesome. And it, it looked like you were, you were doing a, a journal this morning. And one of the quotes that you had posted, it said, everything is figure outable. And I think that was from um, Marie Forleo. If yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yep. And I, I thought that was like going into our podcast and, and kind of knowing we were going to talk about, you know, what to do with strength training and um, you know, who's it for and, and the topics that we already discussed. Can you, I know this is really off topic and I didn't send this to you in any form or fashion, but why, why, what stands out to you about that? Is it specifically because of the time we're in right now or is there something else that really punches that forward? So that's been one of my favorite quotes uh, even pre-COVID. Uh, uh, so I've been thinking about that for the last four months or so. And I think that sometimes a leader, I think sometimes just anybody gets into a situation and they feel like, well, I'm up against it and I'm stuck and I don't know how I'm going to resolve this problem. And when you have the mindset that everything is figure outable, you just start to be solution oriented, right? And I think we spend, like COVID's a great example where so many people and so many leaders are, and I mean, leaders in, in different businesses spend their time almost complaining about the situation and the environment. Like you, you, you're in the, what Stephen Covey would call your circle of concern mm -hmm. rather than your circle of influence or circle of control. Right. And so like you, you're posting on social media, you're complaining about politicians, you're complaining about, uh, you know, I've told my team, we're going to spend zero time in our circle of interest, things we're interested in that we want to pontificate on and have intellectual conversations, we got to stay in our circle of influence and our circle of control. So this is figure out, but we got to figure out like what's our next step, what's our next action. And as soon as you do that, man, you are proactive and you have, you have all of the power then. I mean, we can't control what happens to us, but we can control what do we do next? And so I just, I think that quote is a reassuring quote for me and, and, you know, like I'm human. So there's times where I get down and I think, man, we're up against it. And then I might need to go to bed for eight hours, wake up the next <laughs> and remind myself, like it is figure outable. Let's get together and let's start talking about it and let's start thinking about it. And let's make sure all those conversations are rooted in the circle of influence and the circle of control. That's a great way to put it. I think uh, I did a podcast. Was it? last week or the week before with our friend, mutual friend, Lawrence Neal. Hey, I'm going to just drop today. Literally it just dropped this afternoon. I'm going to listen to it as soon as we get off here today. I can't wait to listen to it. Oh, good. 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 Don't, you know, no, don't, uh, don't judge it too harshly. <laughs> it's just a lot of <laughs> No, I'm but, excited uh, to hear it. But it, I, I remember we, we talked about this idea that I think well, you brought up a good point a circle of influence that, that people kind of sit themselves in, especially now where most people are finding themselves having more time. And I brought up the point that, at least in my eyes, so before all this, it, 
before all this, I really wasn't on social media that much. I kind of, I made myself take a back seat to it because it put me in places where I didn't really like to go. I got upset and I'd be one of those commenters that was just, you know, oh, this is wrong. This is not right, whatever. So I stopped doing that. I'm like, don't be that guy. I'm done with that. Well, then I started getting back into it since I've had more time in my hands the past, you know, seven weeks. And, um, oops, sorry. And uh, the uh, one thing that I've, I've kind of come, come to terms with is when I see people, especially in our industry, that are like, this is the time to raise the, raise the level and go, you know, go for everything that you can imagine and do more and create another business. And, and then you've got people on the other end who are like, hey, sit back, take it easy. Like, these are times to reflect. I don't see anybody kind of in the middle. There's nobody in that space in the middle where it's saying like, hey, it's okay if you don't want to jump out of the box and, and go for broke. And it is okay to kind of sulk every once in a while. I'm not saying spend, you know, eight hours on the couch watching Netflix, uh, you know, and get nothing done, neglect your family and neglect, you know, your health and everything. But like there, there's nobody saying sit back and really kind of reflect on maybe what is valuable, what is important to you right now. Because this whole thing isn't binary. It's not good, bad. There are definitely horrible situations happening right now. And I'm, I'm very thankful to, you know, to not be a part of that. So maybe I'm speaking a little out of turn when I say that. But for the most part, I'm talking to those people who are like, who maybe haven't figured it out yet exactly what they're going to do. And for those people, basically what I'm saying is like, that's okay. It's okay yeah, right now to, to be, to be unsure. Love- yeah, I love that quote, and I love that you said that it, it's not binary, right? Like, there is this pressure that you either are reinventing yourself, reinventing right. the business, right. committed to complete personal development during this time, and you're going to learn three new languages and create six new businesses and, you know, have this life-changing epiphany over these, you know, hopefully not too many months, but few months. Or the other end is like, hey, I have to go into full on, I only watch Netflix all day and this is the laziest, least productive time of my life. Yeah, I, th- I think you can be in between. And I think yeah. that's from a mentality standpoint. Do you need to be positive and optimistic um, 24-7 during this? No. Um, I think if you're sad, if you're down, you can be down. You just can't stay down. Like you can go down and you can get dark for a while. But then you have to do the things in your life that allow you to bounce back and um, find joy and, and, and seek joy. I mean, I, I, my life has not changed relative to people that have really been impacted by COVID. But my, my life changed a little bit. I mean, I think in the last six weeks, I've canceled like eight flights and uh, trips all over to speak and do things that I'm really passionate about and really excited about. But everyone has something that's changed. And many people have things that have changed significantly. And so I made a conscious decision that what I have to do as I go through all of this mm-hmm. is I just have to be mindful of looking for um, moments that bring me joy. Like I might receive joy in different ways um, over these last six weeks than I have previously, but this time period can't be devoid of joy. Like I can't say I'm going to, I'm going to pause joyfulness until we're out of this COVID season. It's no, no, no. I'm going to seek joy during this season. It just may be in a different way. And I would balance that with there's, there's times where you're going to struggle and you're going to be, uh, yep. you're going to be down. And that's, you know, if you're a leader of an organization, I think that's part of being vulnerable. You got to be vulnerable and be real and say, Hey, I'm struggling right now. That's part of it. 
Um, but we also have to, yeah, I, I would agree with you said it's not binary. There should be some balance as we walk through this and we should walk through it as a human being. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The others, you know, the, the other day I was, I was outside and it's not so nice weather now. And that really affects me quite a bit when I'm, and if I can't get outside with my daughter and like do something besides, you know, I love reading books to her, but I can only read uh, Brown Bear, Brown Bear so many times before <laughs> I'm like, no more bears. Like I'm done with that. But I look at this time, like there, there's not going to be, unless we go on vacation, you know, months and months and months down the road, there's not going to be another time where I get to spend this kind of time with her. You know, like it, it's usually I'm gone at five, gone from 4.30 or 5 a.m. And I'm back in the late afternoon. I pick her up. We eat dinner. We go to bed. And that's our regular routine. And as much as I miss that, I miss having a quote unquote regular routine. The, the past seven weeks have flown by for me, Luke. I don't know about you, but they have gone so fast. And I thought this whole thing was going to drag. And now I'm thinking, man, like I got to kind of hold on to these moments. But I, I, again, I totally agree with you. I totally agree. I, I think the first week of kind of when everything started to shut down was the slowest week of all time. And yeah. now I think like it just flies. And I think, you know, we're sitting and recording this on a Thursday. I'm thinking, how is it Thursday already? Like Thursday. where did the week go? It just, <laughs> it just absolutely flies by. So I totally agree with you. I know. It's crazy. It's nuts. Well, look, um, I, I really appreciate your time. I, I know we're, we're both on, um, on uh, different different time zones so we've got some stuff to do here and there but uh if people want to get reach out to you learn more information about you and what you have going on where's the best place to get a hold of you yeah well a couple things they can definitely uh shoot me an email at luke at discoverstrength.com and they can always check out our website discoverstrength.com but i'd love to connect via email or instagram it's just luke carlson 3070 that's probably the best social platform is instagram okay perfect awesome and um we didn't talk about this uh, very much and I, I wish i would have brought it up but could you talk about some of the conferences that you host and maybe talk a little bit about about rec and what you guys have going on and what your plans for the future are yeah so we we're you know we're forced to delay rec postpone rec it was supposed to be march it's a resistance exercise conference it was the 10th anniversary 10th time that we've hosted that conference and we've rescheduled it for november so you can go to resistanceexercisesconference.com and we'll have all the information there and we're gearing up for what we think is going to be a really important conference with great content and great speakers and collegiality clearly we don't know what november will look like but it's right. uh it's in the works and we have it on the calendar and Man, if you're into to strength training, that's the place to be because not only is it a chance to learn about strength training and learn from practitioners and learn from researchers, but just some collegiality that I think we are all missing, like come together with colleagues that are like-minded and just share ideas and, and share that collegiality. I think that is so important and I think it's so rewarding. Uh, and frankly, I think it's so fun. Yeah, and I've... I've heard nothing but great things about it and i follow it on facebook i have yet to go to one and i i promise i will i will get to one but um we'll wait till things settle down and, and see what happens in the future Absolutely. Uh, luke again thanks so much and i hope people reach out to you have a great day and i will talk to you very soon eric it was my pleasure thank you for having me thanks for listening don't forget to rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts if you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show Get in touch with Eric on any social media platform 
at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com.